Chapter Sixteen. Mr. Bettison proposes Part One of Black Moth by Georgette Heyer, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Mr. Bettison could make nothing of Diana of late. Her demeanor, at first so charming and so cheerful, had become listless and even chilling. She hardly seemed to listen to some of his best tales, and twice she actually forgot to laugh at what was surely a most witty pleasantry. It struck him that she regarded him with a resentful eye, as if she objected to his presence at Horton House, and had no desire to be courted. But Mr. Bettison was far too egotistic to believe such a thing, and he brushed the incredible suspicion away, deciding that her coldness was due to a very proper shyness. He continued his visits until they became so frequent that scarce a day passed without his strutting step being heard approaching the house, and his voice inquiring for the Miss Bowleys. Mr. Bowley, who secretly hoped for Mr. Bettison as a son-in-law, would not permit the ladies to deny themselves, and he further counselled Miss Betty to absent herself after the first few moments, leaving the young couple together. Thus it was that so continually fell to Diana's lot to receive the squire and to listen to his never-ending monologues. She persistently snubbed him, hoping to ward off the impending proposal, but either her snubs were not severe enough, or Mr. Bettison's skin was too thick to feel them, for not a fortnight after my lord's departure he begged her hand in marriage. It was refused him with great firmness, but taking the refusal for coquettishness he pressed his suit still more amorously, and with such a self-assured air that Mistress Di became indignant. "'Sir!' she cried, "'it seems you have indeed misread my attitude towards you.' Mr. Bettison was struck dumb with amazement. It had never entered his brain that Diana could seriously refuse him. He could hardly believe his ears at this quite unmistakable tone of voice, and sat gaping. "'I must beg,' continued Diana, "'I must beg that you will discontinue your all-too-frequent visits here. Please do not deem me unkind, but your persecution of me—I can call it nothing else—is wearying, and you will forgive the word, tiresome. I confess I am surprised that you had not perceived your intentions to be distasteful to me. "'Distasteful!' cried Mr. Bettison, recovering after two or three unsuccessful attempts from his speechlessness. "'Do you mean what you say, Miss Diana, that you will not wed me?' She nodded. "'Yes, Mr. Bettison, I do. And that my intentions are displeasing to you. Well, Miss Bowley, well, indeed.' Diana softened a little. "'I am indeed sorry that you should have misconstrued—no misconstruction, madam.' snapped the squire, who was fast losing control over his temper. "'Do you dare aver that you did not encourage me to visit you?' "'I do, most emphatically.' "'Oh, I see what is. You cannot hoodwink me. Twas never thus with you before that fellow came.' "'Mr. Bettison, I am entirely at a loss, but I desire you to leave this room before you say aught that you may afterwards regret.' He disregarded her. "'You are infatuated by that overdressed popinjay.' that insufferable car, who from all I hear is but a shady fellow, and who—' With a sweeping movement Diana had risen and walked to the bell-rope. She now pulled it with such vigour that a great peal sounded throughout the house. She stood perfectly still, a statue of disdain, tall, beautiful, and furious, with compressed lips and head held high. Mr. Bettison broke off and mopped his brow, glaring at her. Startled Thomas appeared at the door. "'Did you ring, madam?' "'Show Mr. Bettison out,' was the proud answer." The squire got up awkwardly. "'I am sure I apologize if I said aught that was untrue,' he mumbled. "'I hope you will not take my words amiss.' "'I shall try to forget your insult, sir,' she replied. "'The door, Thomas!' Mr. Bettison went out, and his step had lost some of its self-confident swagger. For a full minute after the great front door had shut behind him, Diana stood where she was, and then the colour suddenly flamed in her cheeks, and she turned and ran out of the room, 
up the stairs to her own chamber, where she indulged in a luxurious fit of crying. From this enjoyable occupation she was interrupted by a rap on the door, and Miss Betty's voice desiring to know if she was within. She instantly started up, and with hasty fingers straightened her tumbled curls. "'Pray enter,' she called, trying to sound jaunty. To complete the illusion she started to hum. Her aunt entered. "'I came to see if you had my broidery. I cannot find it, and I am sure it was you brought it in from the garden this morning.' "'Oh, oh, yes, I am so sorry. Tis in that corner on the chair, I think,' replied Diana, keeping her face averted. Miss Betty cast a shrewd glance at her, and sat down on the sofa with the air of one who means to stay. "'What is it, my love?' she demanded. Diana pretended to search for something in a cupboard. "'Nothing, aunt. What should there be?' "'I do not know. Tis what I want to find out,' answered Miss Betty, placidly. "'There is not amiss, I assure you.' To prove the truth of this statement, Diana essayed a laugh. It was a poor attempt, and wavered pitifully into a sob. "'My pet, don't tell me. You are crying.' "'I—I'm not,' avowed Diana, hunting wildly for her pocket-handkerchief. "'Tis a cold in the head I've had these three days.' "'Indeed, my love. Longer than that, I fear.' "'Yes, perhaps so. I—what do you mean?' "'I doubt but what you caught at the day that Mr. Carr left us.' Diana started. "'Pray, do not be ridiculous, Auntie.' "'No, my dear. Come and sit beside me and tell me all about it,' coaxed Miss Betty. Diana hesitated, gave a damp sniff, and obeyed. Miss Betty drew her head down onto her shoulder soothingly. "'There, there. Don't cry, my sweet. What has happened?' "'Tis that odious Mr. Bettison,' sobbed Diana. "'He—he he had the audacity to ask me to marry him.' "'You don't say so, my love. I thought I heard him arrive. So you sent him about his business?' "'Not before he had time to insult me.' "'Insult you? Die! He—he he dared to insinuate—oh, no, he accused me outright of being infatuated by Mr. Carr.' infatuated. Over her head Miss Betty opened her eyes at her own reflection in the glass. The brute! But of course tis true. No answer. Is it not? The sobs came faster. Of, of course tis true, but how dare he say so? Die, my love. You really are in love with that boy. I, I, I asked him to marry me, and he wouldn't. Good gracious heavens! Miss Betty was genuinely horrified. My dear Diana! not outright, but he understood, and he loves me, and I'll do it again to-morrow if I could, immodest or no, so there. Yes, yes, soothed Miss Betty hastily. Tell me all about it. Diana lifted her head. That's all, and he loves me. He does. He does. Did he say so? No, but I could tell, and I love him, and I'd sooner die than live without him, and he won't ask me, because he has not got a spotless past, and he'd be a cur, and horrid things, and my husband must not be an, an outcast, and—and—and I don't care." Her bewildered aunt unraveled this with difficulty. "'He'd be a cur if he asked you to marry him?' she asked, with knitted brows. "'Yes, because he's a highwayman.'" End of chapter 16, part 1. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.